Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, colleague, and good friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just wondering, over the summer, and it's been a while since we talked or seen each mm-hmm. other, so did you gain 20 pounds of muscle? <laughs> did you lose 20 pounds? Are you coming in at your same weight? Uh, I haven't weighed myself in a minute, but uh, based on the mirror, I look about the same. So I, I, I don't think that there's any uh, a- any visible difference in muscle mass or uh, or or fat content. I will say though, I'm I'm, I'm pretty trim right now. I, I can't complain. Uh, but no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't do the Dwight Howard losing 20 pounds before the season. That seems to happen every year, except Dwight's a free agent now. So no idea. I too think I'm mainly in the same shape of my life that I've been in. I think it would be pretty scary if I lost 20 pounds. I would I would be fairly skeletal. I might blow away in the wind if that happened. But I think that we're both in the best shape of our lives to talk into microphones about what was talked about with regard to basketball today. Yeah. Um, I, I, can we just say, like, on one hand, it is wild that it's media day already. Um, it is. Like, not in a bad way. It just, uh, maybe, I mean, it's different from... I'm not trying to mean this like as like a flex or anything, but like just just getting I just finished covering up the WNBA finals was on the road for a week and a half and I got back last Monday and now it's media day. I was not ready for it. (laughs) I'm I'm like excited about it. But yeah, it is it is coming fast. Like, I mean, the preseason starts next week, which is mind boggling. But uh, I mean, how are you feeling coming off this summer before we even dive into what media day is? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talking about like this is the first full off season that the NBA's had due to what COVID and the bubble yeah. situation and other things were, but it never really felt like I had one. Like mm-hmm. in part because the Pacers still had cap space. They were still, I mean, up to last week we were still hearing Laker rumors with regards to Miles and Buddy. It felt like I still had to be vigilant and online and a lot of times mm-hmm. like with the type of stuff that I do in August and September, some of that can be my most tedious like thorough stuff. So it was all still pretty time consuming. So I didn't really feel like there ever really was a pause. And it's like, oh, media day is Monday. And I need yeah. to start thinking about this new roster. So Yeah, you and I exchanged so many texts this uh this offseason about, well, if this happens, we'll do a pod. Or that happens, we'll do a pod. Or like, I mean, I feel like you and I have like at least 15 theoretical pods that did not happen this offseason, just based on what the team has or hasn't been doing, which has been uh has been exciting. So I, I'm psyched to be back though. Before we even get di- before we even dive in, um, can I give you my review of of Mango Outshine Pop Schools? I would love you to. Please do. So it's funny because after this entire time, we we ruminated about this on Twitter a little bit earlier today because Tony East said that he had not had uh, Outshine Pop Schools. Apparently, that was that was uh, earth shattering to you. Um, it cut me to my I, core. <laughs> well, I had them for the first time. We've we've talked about on Pod that I've had them for the first time. But now I'm at the point where like I love them. Like they're very good. And I make sure that I always have a box in the freezer. I decided to go outside the norm. I normally like like really citrusy stuff. Like I love things that are less sweet and more like kind of tangy, uh, especially in popsicle form. So like the lime and lemon are like that's those are goaded. Those are the best ones, in my opinion. I got mango. And honestly, Caitlin, I'm just kind of disappointed. Um, I'm not really a big mango person in general. But if I remember correctly, you had uh, you had told me that I should try the mango. Um, I felt as though you would like it because it it's not like mango isn't super sweet. It's not in the sweet quality with like cherry and raspberry and see, the I coconut. Like, the cherry, like those those are three dessert popsicles borderline. Yeah. Well, this but, isn't me trying to shade you. I'm just saying. I, I mean, I'm you know. I'm very proud of you. I still don't think that there are any bad outshine popsicles. But it's not I even mean, they're bad. It's just again, I, I'm. It's almost unfair to talk about them like this because like it's still like it it's like an eight out of ten popsicle. Exactly. But just like compared to other outshine popsicles. I'm like, very ah. happy that you've discovered lemon though. I knew that you would like the lemon. Oh, the lemon's really good. It's really good. I don't I yeah, 
I'm even with it being cold, like I'm not going to eat nearly as many now that it's cold outside, but yeah, you've got me hooked. So uh, the weather, the weather doesn't impact whether you can have one of these, but it doesn't impact it for you. My teeth are very sensitive. So this is a, this is a massive impact for me. Okay. Well, Pacer basketball moving from popsicles to Pacers. Um, we've, we've gotten access to all of the media day, um, festivities finally after today. Can we go on a little bit of a mini rant about yeah, why the Pacers were one of only like, I don't know, seemed like almost every other team was live streaming their stuff today, or at least putting like tons of stuff on their social channels. Were you seeing any of that today? Yeah. Pacers didn't really do anything today, to be honest. Like they didn't really put anything on social. Um, they just didn't really do anything in general they didn't live stream it like originally i going on nba.com and said every team was gonna live stream it they didn't live stream it so um yeah i don't know what was up with that i would have uh i mean i was up ready to go uh, at 10 o'clock when it was supposed to start live streaming and alas was not here i mean i felt like i was pretty much the cookie monster um jiff tapping the desk waiting for anything to pop up i mean they weren't even really putting you know, quotes on, on their Twitter account from people. So I don't know if, if I were them, just like a minor, you know, bit of advice. Like if I were them, I would want as many people talking about my team as possible. Yeah. I'm in on the same a given day, especially given what type of season you're anticipating having just my thought, but now we are caught up. We've seen as much as we can possibly see. So where do you want to start? Uh, I think we have to start with miles. Don't we feels like it. As he said, it's the elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, yeah. How do you how do you want to go about this one? So, I mean, I think we, we kind of need to back up a few days to Kevin Pritchard's media availability, which people can watch on YouTube. The Pacers had uploaded that and put it on Pacers.com. But, um, you know, Kevin Pritchard had said that he talked with Miles Turner for, I think, an hour, an hour and a half. And didn't reveal all the details of that conversation, but said kind of what we've been hearing all summer, that Miles is very excited to play with a pass first point guard like Tyrese Halliburton, wants to be the lone center and wants to be, I think Kevin Pritchard referred to it as like a defensive monster this season. And then said that he thinks that he would be open to putting, you know, deep roots down um, in this area that, you know, he's been connected to Indiana for a long time, those, those types of comments. But then when he was directly asked if they've had, if he's had extension talks with miles, he didn't want to answer that question. He declined to answer it. And he also said, you know, after he talked about, you know, him being excited about Tyrese and playing exclusively at the five and the comment about the defense, he said, but he's going to be a free agent. Mm -hmm. Like that indicates to me that you're not expecting signing him to an extension. If you're saying he's going to be a free agent. Yeah, and then no, when Miles got asked that same question in media availability today, I believe his direct quote was, I can't answer that right now. And I think you know that. Yeah. And like the question wasn't just, you know, how are extension talks going? I believe that the reporter that asked it said, you know, how are, you know, have there been extension talks and would you be open to staying here? And, it, yeah. and, and Miles didn't really provide any room there beyond just saying, I can't answer that right now. Mm-hmm. And then he's just going to go out and do what he needs to do and, I felt it was a little bit telling. I don't know what you thought of it, but like twice he also said, for as long as I'm in this uniform, which granted he's a person who's been in trade rumors for a very long time. So it probably does feel somewhat, you know, day to day with him just mentally with what, you know, he's, even if it is a business thing, knowing that, you know, any day he could have been traded, but I just thought it was telling that he said for as long as I'm in this uniform, that I'm going to represent the state and myself to the best of my ability. But what, what did you take away from what miles had to say today? Yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, uh, you know, another quick aside, every time that I say something in response to you, I cannot stop thinking about that Reddit thread. Um, (laughs) uh, What Reddit thread? Oh no. Oh, you didn't see this? No, I, Uh, I, I respect and like people that talk about the Pacers and other stuff, but I've had to bar myself from two things, Mark. I do not look at YouTube comments anymore uh, and I I, do not look at Reddit comments. I, I can't. Like there's yeah. been enough, there's been a few very heinous things said that I just don't need to look at it. No, I feel that I need to be better at that. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a Reddit thread, I think, shoot, probably in June or July. That was about our pot and all of the, uh, I think it was like, take a shot every time Mark Schindler says, 
I totally agree with you after I answer your question, after you say something. And it wasn't like a very nice way. Like they were very kind about it. But I think about that all the time now. Um, it's just hard not to agree with you. You're a smart person. Um, yeah, I mean, my my biggest takeaway from Miles, like obviously that, I mean, he did the, I'm I'm finally, uh, you know, playing, I, I'm, I'm the lone center again, which feels like my natural position. Um, which I understand where he comes from on that, even if I don't fully agree. Um, you know, he mentioned, you know, I'm just going to be myself. Uh, he, I, I did think it was interesting that he said he doesn't think he scratched the surface of his potential whatsoever. Um, I, I mean, I'm curious to see, I, uh, I'm curious to see what he most worked on in, in his game. Cause I don't believe he was asked that, um, you know, what his biggest focus was this off season, what he's, um, you know, really hoping to uh, to showcase this season. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, Actually, I think he was. I think he said that his oh, it was. was just getting healthy. Oh, my bad. Like, um, I think that he said his main focus was getting his body ready and getting healthy. I don't think he provided details, like, as to actual basketball. I mean, he shared a lot of videos this summer. But anyways, mm-hmm. go on. Yeah, Um. so that – and, like, he mentioned that he thinks he and, and Jalen are going to be able to play well together. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I don't – again, I don't – I, I don't want to be like overly harsh to miles. I get some of the stuff with where he's coming from, but at the same point, like I just, um, it just feels like such a tenuous relationship and has for a while, as we've talked about multiple, multiple times. And I'm just, uh, I'm just ready for both parties to be where they want to be with it. Yeah. Because I mean, that's something else that I didn't even bring up from Kevin Pritchard's media availability was that when he, they first started talking about miles, he was like, you know, look at his Instagram or his social media or whatever. And, you know, doesn't that answer it? And he said it somewhat tug in cheek, but he was like, you know, yellow heart, blue heart. And then, you know, whatever else miles had in that particular tweet. And I just thought that was yeah. kind of funny. Cause it's like, well, now we're supposed to care about tweets. Cause like last season we weren't supposed to care about the, this ain't P tweets and other stuff. But now that it's like a positive thing, we're supposed to care. But I think my general takeaway from it. And like, I don't want this to sound harsh, but like, until he signs an extension, I just don't think that I really care that much because otherwise it's just about finding the right trade for him. Like if he's not going to, if, if, if both sides aren't currently, you know, declining to even answer questions about this or to say like, yeah, I, you know, if, if stuff goes right, I would want to stay here long-term. And again, that's not me criticizing whatever Miles's opinion is on where he wants to play or what his motivations for playing are. But like, until that happens, I just, I don't, the rest is just kind of words to me. Like the extension is going to speak a lot more loudly, I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah. Um, Cause otherwise it just feels like kind of a temporary relationship. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, it's yeah. I'm definitely in the mindset of, okay, I'll believe that miles wants to be here. If he signs an extension, like I don't, yeah. I mean, it, it just, he, he did not. And again, like I thought he, came across it in a professional way but i mean it's clear that he doesn't really want to be in indiana just listening to him talk maybe people disagree with us on that but um i mean he felt pretty guarded the entire interview yeah i mean he said right away i mean and i get that you don't want to address it a lot of times but it's like this is the elephant in the room and i want to make it clear that this is the only time i'm going to talk about it which i mean i guess you probably don't need to talk about it beyond media day because at that point you're on the roster but yeah yeah i mean there there seemed to be like you know, in years past when he was younger, I would say there was probably a little bit more excitement. Like, I mean, he was excited about the prospect of playing at the five and like talking about how he loves pressure. I perform better under pressure. Like you said, not scratch the surface of my potential. It still feels a little bit to me like, and I don't want to project too much, but that like, I don't know. It just felt like last season in the interviews and stuff that he does, it's always been just solely if he gets to play at the five, we're going to see all this different stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know. I just have always wanted a little bit more accountability there about what it's been in the past, but you know, we'll see whenever it turns up, but you said that about Jalen Smith and his partnership there. And now he said that they could kind of expand each other's games. And you kind of mentioned that with Tyrese as well, being able to expand Tyrese's potential. Um, do you have any initial thoughts? Like, obviously we haven't seen it in action, but just about the idea now that we know that miles is on the roster of miles and Jalen playing together. Yeah. Oh, I mean, going over into Jalen, I thought that was one of my favorite answers that I got. Jalen was, uh, he was like, he gives like kind of short answers, but he's like very to the point, which I appreciate. Um, 
like when he was asked about what he worked on in the summer, he talked most about his perimeter defense and working on being more effective on switches, being able to stay in front of perimeter players longer um, and just improving like where knowing where to be on both ends of the floor, which I thought, I mean, that's the stuff we've talked about really needing to see more of from him alongside. I mean, obviously there's much more offensively that we can get into with that, but um, I really liked that answer. And I think that goes kind of hand in hand with talking about um, what that looks like with him playing next to miles with him, of course, being the four. Um, I mean, did, did that kind of resonate for you as well? Yeah, I mean, I thought that his comment about saying that about being able to stay in front of guards for longer stretches was yeah. telling for a number of reasons because Chad Buchanan on the radio had mentioned that they had kind of emphasized to Jalen that he'll need to continue improving at, at defending on the perimeter if he's going to be playing at the four, mm-hmm. which leads me to think that they're planning that they're going to be switching quite a bit, at yeah. least at least through positions one through four. And like that is a thing that needed to improve because just by comparison to Goga, like Jalen executed the actual switch better than what Goga can do, but he couldn't play close enough to the ball to take away, you know, when they played Minnesota to play close enough to take away step backs against Anthony Edwards that happened against Terrace Ronson Orlando. And we know what happened, you know, about eight or nine possessions in a row against Darius Garland down the stretch against Cleveland. So that is an area that I think he's still going to have to get better. in. I think he was a little bit better than what was the case in Phoenix. I mean, that's in part why they couldn't play he and Aiton together, because quite frankly, Aiton was better at defending in space than Jalen Smith was. But yeah, and then him talking about kind of a theme that I noticed throughout and something that Kevin Pritchard mentioned too, which I bring up fairly often, like Rick Carlisle calls plays, but within that, they want to be able to play flow game and get to the next thing. So it can look you know, to an untrained eye, when you're watching a team play flow game, it might just look like they're racing it up the floor and getting shots, but there's a lot of method in that. And people need to be able to make not only the first read, but the next read after that. And also be able to know how to respace, which is why I wrote the piece about buddy a couple weeks ago, because he's so good at not just relocating, but knowing, you know, what types of random movements are going to create space for other people around him. So Jalen saying that about figuring out the right time and the right reads for where he needs to be on the floor is pretty telling. And and they brought that up in a couple other places as well. I mean, I wrote the piece about the five numbers that I'm watching and, you know, I think Jalen's three point percentage is going to matter a lot with regards to miles, like whether miles is staying long-term or he's not like, and it's just about rebuilding his trade value. Miles needs to be the player defended by fives. Like we need to see that other teams need to see that. And if Jalen's not shooting the ball super well, I can see scenarios where like early in the season, they play Philadelphia and Joel Embiid guards Jalen and sags off and PJ Tucker's guarding miles and switching out to Tyrese. And I don't really think that that's probably what the Pacers want. So like, I do agree with miles that in theory, both of them pop more than they roll, but they can Mm -hmm. roll a little bit. So there is a little more variability there. And if both of them are doing that at a very high level, then, you know, that brings a lot of variability into the picture, but they're going to need to show that they can do it. But with regards to Miles and Tyrese, if we hop over to a few of the things that Tyrese said, I felt like that was a little bit telling too, because he was asked directly, because since we haven't seen the two of them play together because Miles was injured, he said, you know, Miles is the best rim protector I've ever played with. And he's like, I don't mean that as any like shade against anybody I played with Sacramento, but it's probably the case. And that's going to allow me to play into the ball more because I know that, you know, he's there as a safety net as well. That'll help me defensively. And then he said, he's also probably the best shooting big that I've played with. And that's going to be something different for me. And then he talked about popping versus rolling. And then he kind of mentioned like, you know, I think he could be a better roller. I'm sure there's probably things that he thinks I could be better at too, but you know, that's the benefit of being able to be in each other's ears and and talk about, you know, places where both of us can get better. But I did find it telling that he directly brought up that, you know, I think that he could be a better roller because I think that, I mean, I also, I mean, clear back when I wrote the eight and piece, I ultimately think that Tyrese is going to pair best with somebody who has a high roll frequency and is going to make it less, you know, more off balance for that tagging defender about whether he's going to throw a skip pass, a late lob pass, an early lob pass, or if he's going to get to his floater. And if that person isn't moving toward the basket and putting pressure there, it becomes easier just to defend his floater. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it makes it harder for him to get deeper into the basket too. So 
Um, I thought it was interesting that Tyrese directly brought up both of those things because when he was asked, you know, what area does he want to grow in? The number one thing that Tyrese said about himself was defense. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, cause we've talked about this a bunch, like finding that balance between, um, especially too, because of how much miles has talked about wanting to roll more. I think that'll be really interesting to find the balance with that, you know, finding the balance between being somebody who can be a, a really quality floor spacer on high volume, like we saw at times last year and just throughout his career in general, but also finding the, the, the balance in that. Cause I like, this is a, a, a little bit of a deeper side, but um, you know, there a player in the WNBA finals, John Quill Jones, who granted totally different level. Cause she's an MVP caliber player compared to miles, but like very much in that same mold, like she's six, six, which uh just about the tallest player on the court at any point, um, but is also the best shooter on her team. And she had like this really uh, kind of awkward culmination in the finals, but like the first two games, she was really, um, and this was a thing all year where she was uh, pretty, pretty important for all of their spacing, but there were also like clear moments where she could find moments to attack Um without the ball in her hands. And I think again, like that's the stuff with miles. I feel like I'm just hitting like the drum over and over again, but it's like, yeah, like finding that balance is going to be really interesting this year. Yeah. I mean, and a big part of it's the defense. I mean, yeah. what decision you make after you set a screen is going to have to do somewhat with what coverage you're being thrown at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I expect like if I was an opponent and if it's an opponent, that's going to really game plan from day to day, I think that you would ice to switch against the Tyrese miles, pick and pop and try mm-hmm. to force miles to beat you from deep. Um, force Tyrese to go left and then make that little bit tougher pass overhead backwards and make miles makes those shots over the top. But, you know, if they're seeing just regular, you know, pick and roll coverage, I I still think like miles needs to roll on more than 50% of his screens. That's the number that I'm putting it at. He's never done that in his career, including when he was a star starting solo five. And in part that was because, you know, teams would cross match with that. Like there was a game where they played, against Utah and miles made like three or four shots out of the pick and pop in a row. And Quinn Snyder called a timeout and was like, Rudy Gobert, you're guarding, you're not guarding miles anymore. Now you're guarding Thad and we're going to put Jay Crowder or whoever was playing for Utah at the time on miles. And then it was okay. Miles isn't involved in the screening action anymore. Now we're putting Thad in those actions. Same thing against Philadelphia, like Philadelphia would put Embiid on Thad. Then they put Thad into the screening action to try to get, you know, advantage with Embiid in the drop. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that he's going to need to show more of that in addition to just popping. And then also, like, if he does get cross-matched in that type of a situation, what's he going to do about it? Is he yeah. going to make the right read and get to his spots? Like, that's the type of stuff that will change for him now that he is playing at the five. And when teams make, you know, adjustments against him, if he's successful at that, what does he do next from there? Those are the types of questions that, like, honestly, I can't completely answer because I haven't seen it yeah. over, you know, a long period of time. So, and there are things that he's improved at since the last time, you know, that he was the starting five. I do think while I didn't necessarily bear out in the numbers, I do think he's better at putting the ball on the floor now than what he was two mm-hmm. or three years ago, especially if he, at least if he can get momentum into the catch to get to the rim. But um, yeah, I mean, I just think that roll gravity is pretty important for Tyrese. I think generally speaking, when we look at pick and roll partnerships, if it's a pick and roll ball handler that likes to come off and survey and is more about feel, that guy's probably going to pair better with a roller. If it's a guy who likes to turn the corner and immediately get to the rim, that's probably somebody who's going to pair better with somebody who pops. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see till there's actual preseason basketball to look at and to talk about. But I did think that was interesting that Tyrese brought up. Um, if we want to hop over to Tyrese and talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that he said, when he was talked about his own growth, he said that, you know, defense he thinks is, you know, kind of the number one thing. And then he talked about Lloyd Pierce and Rick Carlisle kind of giving him the challenge at the end of last season and moving into this one to be, you know, really had to take on harder matchups than what he had to in Sacramento, where he essentially said that, like, you know, they could hide me a little bit there because of, you know, other people that were around me and I'm being challenged to step up and do this. And, you know, I didn't really look through the matchup data before we hopped on because I didn't have time to see how much time he spent against top options towards the back end of last season. And some of it can be a little bit of semantics because they played quite a bit of zone as well. But um, that's something to keep on an eye on as well, because I don't know what I think about that. Like if they're planning to go into next season with him really guarding 
top options, depending upon who else is out there with him. I'm going to have to chew on that one a little bit. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just not the, unless like, I mean, we, we only got to see what he looked like uh, from, from the torso up. So who knows, maybe his legs like just added 15% of muscle mass, but like that's, he's very, it's not even just body type. Like that's too lacking in nuance, but like, that's a big part of it. Like he has a really high center of gravity. Um, he's just not that guy at the point of attack, given what his, his weight is. Um, and I would be surprised if that just changes in one off season, but I mean, there are definitely like some areas where he can definitely, he can be impactful on the ball, but what he does in his rotations and being impactful with the nail and like, that's the stuff that really makes him stand out. So I, I will be interested to see what that looks like too. Then the other thing of Tyrese is when he was asked, what do you think the identity for this team is going to be next year? He was kind of like, that's a good question. And he talked a lot about controlling our effort and playing hard for 48 minutes because you know that, you know, we have a lot of guys who are hungry for minutes. And if you're not doing it, you know, there's going to be a guy behind you who will. And that felt like a theme that carried over throughout a lot of these answers. Like mm-hmm. Benedict Matherin, I didn't have a lot of notable quotes from, but when he was talking about the new era of Pacer basketball, he was like being intense, playing every game like it's your last game. Um, let me see here. Isaiah Jackson also noted that, you know, starting with a blank slate next year, it's going to be about underdogs coming in and playing hard. And then Rick Carlisle talked about, you know, resetting the culture, the spirit and the attitude of the team. But I found it telling because when he was mentioning the importance of some of the veterans on the roster, he talked about Langston Galloway a little bit. And that Langston Galloway's played multiple windows this summer for USA basketball and how USA basketball typically uses like G league guys or, you know, other players who aren't necessarily on NBA contracts during Mm -hmm. those windows and said that, you know, in a lot of ways, because of how his career has gone, that he kind of embodies what we want to be as a team in terms of high level work ethic, um, love of the game and staying ready. So it felt like, like, I don't want to say it was coordinated that they were told to come out and say this, but it leads me to believe that this is something that's been talked about a lot internally, that they're going to be a team that plays very hard because TJ McConnell even said um, how he would measure success. And he said, we can control how hard we play less than 100%. I don't think any of us will be happy with that if that's what happens at the end of the season. So that leads me to think like back to last year when we recorded our very fun podcast about the Charlotte Hornets debacle. (laughs) <laughs> when the Pacers gave up the 150 points or whatever it was. What a time so, to be alive that yeah, was. What, what a time to be alive. Or, you know, the various Heat games, the national TV games, where, to be honest, like, you could definitely question the effort of that basketball team. Yeah. Like, we did it a number of times. Even if we're being really honest, during the 10-game losing streak, when the Pacers, you know, quote-unquote, weren't tanking, there was some effort issues. Like, I think we can remember Jeff Van Gundy on the Nets Pacer broadcast being like, this might be some of the worst transition defense ever played by two teams at the same time. Like, so it, it seems like they're very focused on, I don't want to say that we're returning to like the hard hat lunch pail era of Nate McMillan ball, but that they're very cognizant that they can't put out that type of product again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a good point. Um, that really came across in, in every single, uh, every single answer. And I think that, that I mean, are you cool flowing into Rick? Cause I do think that yeah. starts to flow into Rick a little bit. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that he pointed out, like Rick mentioned that a ton, like, you know, we are going to be a team that, that plays our asses off. Um, but the biggest takeaway I have from Rick, which was also shout out, shout out Tony East of lockdown Pacers. He, I think he got like three or four great questions today and well-deserved um, this one. I believe this is him asking uh, Rick what a successful season is to him. Um, and Rick pointed out, like, uh, I believe the direct quote was, you know, people who it felt like they were directly talking to you, Caitlin, uh, people who analyze the team are going to be able to point out week to week, month to month, positive steps forward. Um, which I thought really stood out. Like, I mean, clear, like, obviously, like we know that this team is like built in and they're here to quote unquote rebuild, um, even if they're not going to fully say it themselves, um, they still, I still have found it interesting that they don't want to say the word rebuild. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's kind of weird, but yeah. I mean, like that's, it is what it is. Like, I yeah. mean, we don't have to lie about it. Like this, this is a rebuild. Um, 
but nevertheless like that 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 continues to stand out and like i mean just talking about like what the day-to-day is like our our thing is we're going to come in here every day with the right attitude and make everything positive like um clearly the emphasis is on having a very positive environment and playing hard they they talked about having open competition routinely um and then that leaks into talking about just minutes like i thought like the biggest takeaway overall that i had from from media day was rick saying that it's going to routinely be a 10 player or more a 10 10 man rotation at minimum is what he said um which i think that i mean that makes sense with how much depth there is on the team when you're considering what the what the goals are this year um so yeah i mean did that resonate for you as well yeah anticipating a 10-man rotation i used my highlighter on that one when i wrote that note like i felt like that was probably the most solid takeaway because there's a lot that that implies I feel Mm -hmm. because I mean he talked about using our depth as an advantage but also to drive their own competition um, within the building and hope that that drives their development of the players that they have which you know I probably wouldn't have thought of that in that type of way but he talked about too that like last year because they had Miles and Sabonis and they were playing together and then you know they were trading off that like Goga and Isaiah Jackson there wasn't an opportunity for them to really play and that he didn't he didn't want that to carry over into this season. And I think that that kind of flowed into him talking about playing more people. But the other takeaway that I had from it was this leads me to think even more that he's on board with the transition direction. Because yeah. if you're going to be a very high up-tempo team, then it makes a lot of sense to be playing a deeper rotation and be subbing guys in and out. So, I mean, he even mentioned, and then this aspect too, like I know that you and I have been criticized in the past for, you know, monitoring how many minutes guys are playing especially during the Bjorken season with oh yes I love this follow (laughs) when when Sabonis and Brogdon were playing like 40 minutes as if game seven of the regular season was game seven of the playoffs but um he talked about the fact that Tyrese isn't even going to be playing big minutes necessarily like it would be easy for them to go out there and just be running him you know 39 40 minutes that isn't a direct quote from him but there were games last year at the back end of last season where buddy and tyrese were playing 39 and 40 minutes because they had enough other people injured so it sounds like they're going to be really monitoring that in addition just the latent benefits of doing it like we said the benefit of you know you can play faster if you're playing more bodies hopefully um and uh, hopefully you know like what tyrese mentioned like if you're not out there playing hard, there's somebody on the bench waiting to come in that's going to play hard. And hopefully, you know, the whole iron sharp, sharpens iron metaphor pans out and works mm-hmm. and drives the development of everybody. So, yeah, I mean, I felt like that was a pretty big takeaway. Yeah, no, definitely. And it was cool, too, because Rick even said he was like, you know, I played. Guys, well, I had to play guys too much down the stretch last year, and that's not going to happen again. Um so I thought that was interesting to get his uh, his perspective on that and and for him to be open like that about it, too, because I I. Um, I wasn't expecting that, I think would be the way to put it. I also, I always feel too, that there's like a lot of meaning and purpose in everything that Rick Carlisle says. Yes. Like. Feels scripted without being scripted. Yes. Um, because I mean, we talked about it at the end of last season when like, remember the quote where Malcolm Brogdon was basically LeBron, like he could defend all five positions and play all five positions. And we were kind of like, what's going on here? Like I'm all about juicing up your own players, but like it kind of felt like I'm saying this for the sake of other teams who might be hearing me say it. Yeah. And like, you know, he was really emphasizing, you know, the Jalen Smith contract again, like what a coup. And like, I know that everybody's putting that out there and like, I like Jalen. I'm excited to see what else he does this year, but like, let's be honest. Like, were there other teams that were willing to give Jalen Smith a starting spot? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm guessing maybe not. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that was a, a big factor for both sides, but like that. And then like when he was talking about the veterans, like did, I don't know if you pulled it out, but he said that miles is the best on the planet at what he does. Yeah, and then he said I... that buddy is a capable defender especially <laughs> yeah, a good team funny. defender like and and buddy did have some decent moments like i i'm not completely making a joke of that because i do remember the one game against boston that he actually defended tatum for a while and i was like wow that was like three or four possessions in a row where he kind of held his own but like mm-hmm. it, it again it felt like he was saying that not only for the benefit of the reporters there but who else might be hearing it i, I don't know maybe i'm reading too much into that but um i'll just no i don't there. think you're reading too much into that like that's been a th- 
thing like the entire time that Rick's been here, he's been building up miles like that. And I just have, I mean, yeah, I've never agreed with that. Like it's never really been super truthful. Um, like no offense to miles, like miles is really good, but like we cannot act like he's a better defender than Rudy Gobert. Um, well, and just... it, it, it kind of felt a little bit telling too. Like, I mean, I think everybody needs to hope that, you know, that Miles is the very best at that for the sake of like the defense looking better and it looking yeah. better while Miles plays, especially if he's not going to be here past the trade deadline. That's going to be better for everyone involved. But like he also brought up that like when he was talking about, you know, being around Miles this summer and being in conversation with him, like how much the defense suffered tremendously without Miles or McConnell. And like, or TJ. And like, obviously it did like miles is definitely a step up over the other options that they had over the back end of last season at, at stretch five. But like, also that kind of felt like if I bring up these two guys who weren't playing, that explains why we were the worst defense in the NBA over the past, like 26 games. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's not the only reason like it's so it's definitely a factor, but they were not good defensively, no matter who was at solo five last year, including when Miles was out there. And that's not me saying that Miles was a bad defender or that that's for him to to put the blame on. It's just they had a lot of defensive issues. But um, I, I guess we can flow right into that because Rick acknowledged that and said that it's going to be a two to one ratio of defense to offense in terms of what they're focusing on at training camp. And. Um, my thoughts on that are good. I'm very curious to see what the plan is on that end of the floor. Cause I feel like with a young roster, you can go one of two ways. Um, and I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other. I mean, I guess if part of your plan is to rebuild trade values for certain people, you want the product to be better on that end of the floor. And you probably want to funnel stuff to miles and make sure his block numbers are holding and other stuff. But you know, your other option is, you can look at it as we want to simplify everything, which if you want to be better, I think that's probably what they've needed to do for the last two years. And for various reasons, they couldn't necessarily do that last year, but you simplify the system, make things easier, build habits and hope that you can make, you know, steady strides on that into the floor in, in terms of your overall rank by comparison to the rest of the NBA. Or you could look at it like, Hey, we know that we're not going to be a great basketball team next year. This is about, you know, growth and development and also growth and development of, you know, possibly innovation like maybe we're we have the opportunity here that because it's not about optimizing winning in the playoffs we can try some different things and you know kind of see where the hockey puck is going rather than trying to improve where the hockey puck's kind of already been so um they did try some innovative stuff last year i wrote about that when i was talking about concealing zone within our man within zone so i'm i'm very curious to see what they come up with on the defensive end of the floor but did want to point out that rick very much said that that's going to be an emphasis yeah yeah um no I, I, don't, I don't really have anything to add to that i agree i think that's uh something that i was pleased to hear as well because anything anything but last year's defense is is a win in my book well i mean I, it would have to be if it isn't a step up i i fear to Oof, think what that yeah. would be um a couple things on matherin um i don't know if you got to hear chad buchanan's interview on the radio at the golf outing last week i did not he had kind of mentioned in passing like really quick. I mean, you did hear what Rick said and he talked about Matherin being a terrific competitor, um, really wants to be great, very coachable, always, you know, telling Rick, like, you know, tell him, say anything to me, push me, whatever has a lot of competitive fire. And that seemed to be something that several people kind of brought up about Matherin. And I, mm -hmm. I think I have my notes here and I, I hope I'm not misquoting, but I think that Chad Buchanan kind of referred to him as being wound tight and that he really, really hates to lose like even at these um workouts which i mean some of this is probably going to sound like yeah that's what everybody says this time of year but i didn't hear them talking about anybody else like this like i mean they could have been bringing up other players but that's what was said with regard to him but um i do kind of wonder how he's handling some of the reads because i noticed that rick said you know he's working on his feel for the game right now yeah and then kevin pritchard had talked about being in the gym and like having to make numerous reads out of flow game. And I kind of just feel like in general, when the preseason opens, that that could be kind of revealing for some of these young guys about, you know, what their offensive processing is like, if this is, I mean, it sounds like that's how they plan to play um, within a very free flowing system, kind of the, like the Euro ball screen continuity type offense and seeing how they react to that. But I just wondered maybe if, if Matherin's having, if there's been a few hiccups there with some of the reads. Cause I did notice that Rick said that he's working on his feel. So um, 
that's not necessarily uncommon for a rookie player. Like I just, I did notice that he said that. Yeah. And it's funny too, because you and I talked about that a bunch over the summer and even at summer league, like that's the stuff that I think we really need to see from him. Um, Like that's where there's the most room in his game to grow. It feels like so. Um, Yeah. I, I, I mean, what that looks like on, on day one is going to be very interesting to see, especially because like, it did feel like, I mean, less, less about feel and more about his handle, but Felt like he made some some good strides at summer league too, so I'm interested to see what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to hop over to Isaiah Jackson? Yes, yes, the man who uh, who put on the most weight in the off season. I think if there was a, I don't know if you ever watched The Office, but there's the the weight loss episode that I just saw. Um, shoot, when I watched this like two or three days ago, it was on my TV again. Um, but yeah, no, it makes just because he's the biggest biggest winner technically but um it was interesting because it wasn't just like i put on weight woo it was like i put on weight but like i put on meaningful weight and i was like oh okay i like hearing this and he talked about how he put on he felt that most of it came in his lower body and uh and in his core and i was like well, that's perfect that's you know that's meaningful weight and then he was like you know i think that this is really going to help me with being able to defend uh on my own and particularly in the post and just, you know, not um, tamping down some of my foul problems that I had last year. I was like, okay, like that's the, that's really good stuff that I actually want to hear. Did you have kind of the same reaction to that? Yeah, because I did notice too, that our friend Tom asked a follow-up question about, you know, do you think you're going to be able to maintain your speed while having, you know, added weight? Cause I, mm-hmm. as you said, Isaiah Jackson said it was more legs and mid body, an upper body and he said yeah that that was a really big focus with the training staff to be able to maintain his speed and get up and down the floor and keeping the same flexibility while also adding on weight so that was a good follow-up question from tom but i think that the most telling thing from it was what you just said that the the physicality physical was his number one focus over the summer and kevin pritchard had talked about this that they had challenged him and he had specific numbers on it but i don't have that note page in front of me right now um, to put a number to it, but that leads me to believe that they see him as a five again. Like, not yeah. that we have to make this like position corner, but if if this was done with the idea that you know we want him to be able to guard against bigger bigs and stay out of foul trouble, because he said, I mean, what what did he term it as? Um, working on different techniques to be able to guard bigs, take a bump, and still be able to get up and block a shot and not get knocked off as far where then he's having to flail his arms and timing that just, that leads me to think not that we didn't already know this because Jalen has already been christened as the starting four. We know miles is still on the roster. That leads you to think that Isaiah Jackson would be the backup five, but um, that was kind of my big takeaway there that, you know, that and the foul trouble. I mean, Something that I shared when I was actually, I was talking to Tony unlocked on Pacers last week and I had a number, which I don't have it here, but, like another way to protect fouls and something that I still want to see for as long as miles is on this roster um, is him is, is what minutes, if any, that the two of them play together so that Isaiah Jackson can defend fours. I still want to see that because like, if you look at Robert Williams's numbers, his foul rate per 100 plays when he played with Al Horford versus without Al Horford, like the fouling was a lot lower when he was at the four with Al and the same thing with Jaron Jackson. When you look at those minutes in Memphis, when Jaron was out there with Steven Adams, now that's not always going to be a playoff solution or something that you're going to do all the time. But in terms of using those two guys as roamers event, especially Robert Williams, a roamer and event creator, I think that that could be pretty compelling with what Isaiah, what we've seen from Isaiah Jackson so far. And it's not that you don't ever play him at the five. Like I understand Mm -hmm. that, but um, I do want to see some of those minutes because I, I think that that would be a good way to um, protect some of the unprincipled stuff that he does, but also like using some of the unprincipled stuff that he does as an asset, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I mean, yeah, that's stuff that we've talked about quite a bit on here before, like just wanting to see him get to do some of the havoc stuff and really get to go out and play in space because we just didn't get to see it a whole ton last year. So I'm uh I'm very hopeful for that. And I I mean, I guess I'll ask you too, how does that make you feel better or worse? Not any kind of difference in terms of looking at Ajax as a prospect? 
Um, I mean, apparently he's been doing a lot of impressive things in the gym because, I mean, if people have brought him up and then Kevin Pritchard had said there's times where, like, the whole gym will go quiet over some of the athletic stuff he does. Um, when Benedict Mathern was asked, is anyone impressed? He said, yeah, you know, Isaiah Jackson and kind of referenced his catch radius. Um, I feel like I still – there's just a lot that I don't know yet about Isaiah Jackson, yeah. I feel. Um, I did think it was interesting because he said that Rick Carlisle, I think last year – told him that he thinks that he could be like a grab and go big. And remember in summer league, when we did the summer league recap and we were like, Hey, in those first two games, Isaiah Jackson grabbed the ball off the glass and pushed it up the floor. And like the one, like all three, four A's did not end well. The mm-hmm. one almost did, but he like got blocked at the front of the rim, but the actual handling was okay. He said this summer that he worked on his ball handling to be able to do some of that grab and go type stuff, which I found very curious because I mean, I, I like ball handling bigs. I liked Point Sabonis and the developments that Point Sabonis made. But in Ajax's case, it's not like he's a guy who's really going to, like, I don't see him as, like, a mobile hub type player. And what he does in terms of a rim runner and how Tyrese and TJ McConnell already motor the ball up the floor, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised by that, I guess. Um not that he can't outrun other guys. It just seems like I would rather him do that without the ball than with it. But um, he said that he's worked on his jump shot. That's a good thing, especially if he's going to play minutes with, you know, Miles or Jalen and you want them to be a little bit interchangeable. And he thinks it's more fluid and he's confident in it. But um, the ball handling in general, though, this is a distinction that I can get your feedback on. Because, like, right now, do you see Isaiah Jackson as a small, like just looking at the center spot, do you see him as a small ball five or a five who is small? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I just consider him. Uh, well, I think because it brings up a really interesting question of uh, is, is it ball handling or is it just him being really fluid at his size and not having somebody poke at ball and he gets the moving open space um when he does actually get a chance to dribble i think right now he's probably more of a center that is small yeah i think right now he's kind of a five who is small because his Mm -hmm. weaknesses his strengths are that of a traditional center it's mainly his screening you know his ability to catch lobs to dive into space more than his shooting or what he can do on the perimeter but like to me the ball handling more than a grab and go for a if if this is something that he's worked at comes into play like if they want to you know he's a trailer they flow into a dho and he can use that as a keeper like there was one or two times in summer league where he tried to get to that he didn't i think he got stopped like it, it, it wasn't super fluid but like that's an area where the ball handling would come into play and also like if he catches it on the short roll there were times where it was a little bit uh what do I want to say hitchy, I guess is what I would look at with his footwork and his handling when he needed to do something in space. So, you know, being able to change directions on the perimeter or make a jump shot is more so when you come into play as like a small ball five, in addition to being like a switch big, but he said that he's been working with Tyrese during these summer workouts, which I thought was like, Ajax had a lot of little nuggets here that were actual detailed basketball stuff in his interview, mm. um, talking about playing with Tyrese and that that gives them different game plans when he's out there at the five, because he is a roller and a screener and that allows Tyrese to be more as a creator and that Tyrese is wanting him not only just to immediately roll out of the screen, but actually hold them and then, and then move so that Tyrese can get downhill. And I think that's a pretty good distinction. Like I brought that up when I was talking in the five stats piece about miles that they're and the one game against New York, like the night before the glorified role player article came out, the Pacers, I feel deliberately used him more as a screener in that game. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that miles was trying to get out of it with a hop step so that he could make himself an easy target for the passer. But in so doing, he was making like no contact on the screens. So the person coming off the screen was basically taking like a couple dribbles and then looking to hit him. And if that wasn't there, then the play was just kind of neutered. So um, in terms of Tyrese and like what we know of him in terms of, you know, he isn't somebody who puts a lot of pressure on the rim. Um, the fact that he's giving direction to those guys to what they're doing as screeners, um, that could be another interesting thing to watch in preseason. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's a good point. And then, oh, and then the other thing that I found was interesting was that, no, it wasn't Isaiah Jackson, it was Goga. Like a lot of people, another theme 
across all these interviews was talking about like Carlisle as a teacher and working with guys on skills. And I think Carlisle himself kind of said that he's looking forward to doing that that's this season. And Goga said that um, it doesn't really matter what time you come there, 10, 11, 12 at night, he's always here coming to teach you little things. And it was just like, like, is Rick Carlisle the phantom of the opera? Like, <laughs> why, why is he constantly at the facility at, at midnight? They're uh, ready to work funny. with guys, but apparently he's just like putting in tons of overtime. I'd like I to, that, that was, totally I, slipped my head when, when, when listening to you, that's really funny. Yeah. That was like my one takeaway from the Goga interview. Um, other than his ankle, yeah, yeah, his ankle, which was funny too, because then Rick was asked if everybody's healthy, and the only people that Rick mentioned was Servetus, and then I think he said that Jalen had slightly tweaked an ankle, um, a couple weeks ago that they were still kind of mm-hmm. being cautious with, but yeah, apparently, I mean, I knew that Goga had injured the ankle in the game against Belgium, but then he went on and played a couple more games for Georgia, but, um. Anyways, that was like my one Goga note that I wanted to bring up. But do you have any thoughts on Chris Duarte? Uh, since since the, he's the only <laughs> member of the young core we haven't really talked about. Honestly, no, because uh, Chris didn't really have anything. Um, like, that's just kind of Chris. Like, he doesn't he's not a big interview guy right now. <laughs> um, Chris, Chris wasn't super quotable. But I did think that Rick made mention of, was it Rick or was it Kevin Pritchard the other day talking about Chris making strides? And I wanted, I I don't ever like to read way too much into it, but I obviously did write the article about Chris playing with the Dominican Republic this summer and then also watching the scrimmage that they played against St. John's University before they went and played in the August qualifying window. And like Chris did not shoot the ball well in any of those games. And in part, I think that has to do with how much the Dominican Republic was running floppy. And like, he's still going to need to grow at using like a slide step and other stuff when he's a movement shooter. Um, Cause his, his actual setup of his man. And then sometimes his, his finishing move when he goes to square up confuses me at times, but I felt like there was notable strides from Chris Duarte in those games. And it wasn't just about the competition level. Like, what he actually did, like he was getting blitzed pretty heavily. And I believe it was the game against Venezuela. And like, there was times last year where he would see that and he stayed on ball, like way too long, or he wouldn't wait for miles to come set the screen. And he was already dribbling off of it, making things harder on himself. And like, in those games, he was actually giving direction to the screener to change sides and then coming off. And like, there was one play that was really impressive where he was getting, you know, really tight coverage out of a trap and used a lefty, like just quick turn the corner and fired a pass to the screener with his left hand. I'm like, you would not have seen that a year ago. So in terms of like the game slowing down for him on ball, like I'm not saying he's going to do a ton of that when Tyrese is out on the floor, but if he can do that as a secondary playmaker, if he's shooting the ball well and teams do play at or above the level against him, I thought that was valid. And then like, not to make it about muscle watch again, but I do think that he's added some upper body strength. And there were times in all of the, in addition to the game that they played in summer league, when you got, you and I had kind of talked about him not grifting, but like being willing to play into contact in that game and how many games he got to the free throw line. I think he attempted six or more free throws in every game that he played. And like, it was better like with his last step getting into the defense than last year when it would have just been like, I've run out of real estate and now I've just fallen down under the basket. Like his overall sturdiness seemed a little bit better in those games too. So this is not quotes from Chris because Chris wasn't super quotable today, but I did want to bring up some of the stuff that I had just seen from him early on. And I, I, he definitely had my attention. I'm excited to watch Chris during preseason. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I think it's a good point. I'm just excited to watch him play basketball and he's such a fun player. So technically yeah, I mean, sound. it was very sad that we barely got to see he and Tyrese play together at all because I of agree. what the toe injury was. And like, we did get to see him play with Matherin, but I want to see the minutes with all three of them out there. I want to see some three guard lineups with, you know, Matherin doing stuff as a movement shooter and, and, you know, maybe even using like mover blocker stuff with both of them around Tyrese, I think can be exciting to watch. So, um, Looking forward to that. Now, do we the other two news items of the day that are non kind of pacer adjacent? Um, how how much of a bizarre experience was it for you to watch a player be so sad at media day that they are defensive about questions about staying with their current team instead of going and playing staying or going and playing for the Pacers? I'm talking about DeAndre Ayton. 
Uh, that was like, I think what really said it for me was when uh, the reporter went, that's it. <laughs> After like a moment of silence, I was like, wow. Um, Listener, if you haven't seen it already, it's it's all over Twitter. You can see DeAndre Ayton's pretty much non-comments in respect to, I believe he was directly asked about the Suns matching his contract and what his thoughts were. And he essentially said, I was happy. And that it was over, basically. And then there was like a really long pause and the reporter was like, is that it? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so some could take that as that's his displeasure with the Suns. I'm choosing to interpret it as he's just that sad that he doesn't get to play with Tyrese and be a pacer. Yeah, I I mean, I think he really just wanted to play at Banker's Life Field House. That's what it is. Gamebridge. Oh, I always forget. My bad. I I was watching. That's because you really want it to be Outshine Fieldhouse, which (laughs) that's true. Uh, And then all of the uh, there can just be Outshine stands. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some really good. I they really need to sponsor us. I think we're gunning for the Kinetico ad. We don't need the Kinetico ad anymore. We need the Outshine ad. How lame is it to be sponsored by water? Like, you know. Yeah. So then the, the last news item of the day to get through on the podcast is Malcolm Brogdon at Celtics Media Day from Tim Bonips. Malcolm Brogdon says the Pacers gave him the option to pick from among a few different teams in a trade from away from Indiana and that he picked Boston because, quote, I want to win. Do you have any thoughts about Malcolm Brogdon getting to pick from among a few different teams when he was traded this summer? Uh, Well... Would the Pacers have gotten more back in a trade if they traded him elsewhere? I mean, I think that's a valid question to have. I'm hoping that the answer to that question is no. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing that they must have had several fairly even packages between, you know, contending teams where hopefully whatever pick they got, they thought was going to be in a similar range and whatever young player. But like, that doesn't exactly scream confidence in Aaron Neesmith if you're allowing Malcolm Brogdon to pick his destination. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, was it that you felt that confident in Aaron Neesmith? Or was it just like, here, Malcolm, here's three teams. Pick one and we'll be happy with which player we get. I mean, I I don't know. Like, the one hand, like, the optimistic side of this is that as an organization, you know, Malcolm Brogdon tells everybody this today. Maybe other veterans down the road will remember that that's how they treated Malcolm on the way out and that they'll look at the Pacers more favorably. But like, and and I do think that there was, I don't know if you and I talked about this, but like it did seem like there was somewhat of a trend at the trade deadline to not necessarily get players where they wanted to go. But I mean, look at it. Like Karis LeVert went to Cleveland. He's from Ohio. Sabonis' wife, family lives in California. He spends his summers in California. I I don't think that her family's from Sacramento, but like, obviously that's a lot closer than Indiana. And then Justin's also from, from California. Like Tory Craig had a good relationship with the Suns from the season prior, having gone to the NBA finals. He seemed pretty pleased with that arrangement, although he didn't play super well for the Suns in the second go around. Like, it did seem like they had kind of worked with guys. Like I'm not obviously getting Tyrese for Sabonis was the main motivating factor there, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they, I mean, it seems like they're a very want to be, have this player first type culture, but um, I, I don't know. I don't really know what my thought about this is. Uh, I don't know. I think on one hand it's hard, especially without knowing what like the other deals and stuff where it's hard to yeah. really have a super concrete opinion. Um. But I will say my biggest thing is, I mean, it's just winning. Like, I think, I mean, easy. Actually, now, now that I think about it, easier said than done to say that the uh, the best culture you can have is winning when Suns. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I think players will want to come play for you if you have a organization that is built on winning, and that's not what they are right now. So get there, and then maybe we can talk about it again. Like, I, I don't know, mate. DeAndre Ayton just signed a max offer sheet, Mark. Let us live on this high. He wanted to be a pacer. Yeah, maybe I'm being too unfair. Uh, he he wanted to come to Indianapolis. Uh, noted hotbed of all things. Um yeah. I mean, I do think that it, there's probably a pretty good chance that he wanted to play with Tyrese. To be Oh, honest. yeah. I mean, I think it was more so that he just didn't want to be in in, in Phoenix anymore. But, um, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I guess that can sum up our really in-depth thoughts about um, Malcolm Brogdon's comments there. But did you hear anything from Aaron Neesmith today? I didn't see his interview. Uh, he did not have one, I don't believe. I don't think they had uploaded anything from him yet. So yeah. I didn't hear anybody mention him either in any yeah, of the no other same. interviews. Interesting. I- <laughs> yeah, that is a bit that is a little bit interesting now that I think about it. Um the only other note that I had was during the buddy interview, somebody had asked him about, you know, his durability because he, you know, very rarely misses games. And this has kind of been a theme headed into this season as well, because you didn't hear the Chad Buchanan interview, but he talked about um he mentioned Thaddeus Young, Corey Joseph, and Boyan Bogdanovich in that season and respecting how durable they were. Um, and knowing that all of them knew how to pace themselves. And then I think that they were asked if that impacted their draft strategy at all, because, you know, the guys that they drafted also didn't miss a lot of time. And, and then the fact that buddy was asked that as being a guy, like, it just feels like they're trying to be more cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to say that they got burned by Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren, but those were two guys that had fairly extensive injury histories when they, you know, tried to continue, you know, retooling on the fly and that you know they were never all healthy at the same time so um, that was kind of the only other main thing that from recent days that I felt was valid to bring up yeah I also never heard anything about Terry Taylor today no or O'Shea Brissett but Chad Buchanan did say that Terry Taylor had a phenomenal summer a terrific summer and that he likes how much he just keeps his mouth shut produces doesn't have a brash personality but is in the gym and just wants to get better so i did want to bring up you know fan favorite terry taylor (laughs) and that was the one thing that i've heard about him in the last you know week or two i think the best thing for our personal brand would be if terry taylor ends up starting and averages a double double this year um that i will be very like i mean i guess rick said he's playing a 10-man rotation but it's like when you look I mean, this is a topic that could be brought up, too, because a lot of questions were asked about, you know, what the center battles have been like or the the front court battles with how many players they have. Like, I, I'm honest enough to say to you, Mark, I did not expect that training camp would start tomorrow and Miles, Goga, and Daniel Tice would all three still be on the show. <laughs> yes, I agree. I felt that at least one of them wouldn't be. I didn't know which one, but I felt that one or more of them wouldn't be. So the fact that they all three are, and you also have Isaiah Jackson, you also have Jalen who can play some five. It's not like Terry Taylor is a five, but he did play some five last year. Like, it's kind of hard to know. Like, as much as I like Terry Taylor, and I'm sure most of this will be decided at training camp, but like, where is Terry Taylor's spot in the rotation? Like, if you're starting Miles and Jalen and Isaiah Jackson's coming off the bench, like, they obviously started Terry Taylor and Ijax together in Summer League to some success. I don't know if you'll do that during the regular season or not. Like, I would sooner think that that would probably be, like, a forward combination of Neesmith and and O'Shea at the three and the four. But, like, it does make me a little bit sad if we're not going to have a regular dose of Terry Taylor. If he gets cut... I'm going to burn down something. Oh, we'll um, have an emergency pod. I'll stop doing the pod if Terry Taylor gets cut. Um, we'll just we'll just speak that out there right now. If, yeah, if people just, still want the pod, if Terry Taylor gets cut, Kevin Pritchard, if you want Indy Cornrows to 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 exist, do not fucking cut Terry Taylor. <laughs> there, I'll put it on record. Uh, for real i mean with what with what he showed at summer league like the handle was crispier like i just no harry taylor was great in two of those summer league games yeah i Um, legitimately think i just want to put it out there that we don't really think he's gonna get cut i'm just questioning where the rotation spot cleanly is right now yeah yeah but we are putting our idol threat out into the world (laughs) it's important to know that it's there so i just want to make sure um Oh, crap. We didn't even think James Johnson. James Johnson's oh. on the team. So that makes it interesting, too. Well, you know what, Mark? A lot of people have been on and off this team in the last week. <laughs> it's like every day I'm writing an article about five new players who have been signed and four that have been waived. But James Johnson is still on the team right now. Which I. Sure. Like, okay. I if will it... say this of him. And, and Rick kind of talked about him a little bit and said that, you know, he had him in Dallas and that he's a connector in the locker room. Um, 
and that he's very brings toughness. Um, obviously, there's a reason why Brooklyn didn't keep him on the roster into the playoffs, and some of his bad games can be very bad. Um, I think ideally, like if he were giving you minutes, you know, he can kind of guard up against bigs and somewhat, you know, against wings on switches and and does some like secondary creation in terms of what he can do running handoffs. Like, but I just don't think it's that much about a basketball sense. Like for two years now, we've been hearing about, you know, what Al Jefferson used to bring to this roster in terms of being somebody who, yeah. In terms of being somebody who, you know, wasn't necessarily going to play, but had value as a veteran. Like they've wanted that veteran presence. And this is actually a good thing to bring up because I noticed that during TJ McConnell's interview, that he had talked about like this is the first time in his career where you know he's felt like he's he, he needs to be more of a vocal leader and yeah. i felt like that was kind of telling because i think a lot of people just kind of assume that's what he was because he has kind of that personality but like he himself said that typically you know in prior situations because he was on more veteran teams it was it was about leading by example and now he feels like he needs to use his voice more and that like you know when i first got here the only people that are left is miles and goga He's like everyone else that was, you know, the more veteran players aren't here anymore. And like talking about being 30 in a gym with, you know, the young fast paced guys and that like he was going to have to alter his approach a little bit. So um, I think that there is value on a young team to having, you know, those types of voices there. So I kind of get it. Yeah. And, and, And in the sense that like, if it's a choice between him and Langston Galloway, and again, like this is going to be coming down to training camp and what we see in preseason for that roster spot, but like there is a, an idea in theory that on a roster that basically has no wings that James Johnson might actually play, you know? Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, I guess that's the way I see it. Like, I can't say that I was like super excited when I saw the tweet that they had signed him, but, but I understood it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I just, uh, I was in my, still in my, my, uh, a momentary anger over the idea of, of Terry Taylor not playing. So which is understandable. No. And I mean, so at some point we'll have to bring back our, our weekly rankings from last season when we were like trying to figure out physical things that this roster did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like every day somebody wants to remind us all that James Johnson has a black belt. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have somebody doing something physical that we can bring up. If, if James Johnson plays some minutes, uh-huh. but no, I think that pretty much summarizes us talking about what was talked about at media day. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Caitlin, I'm really glad we could get back together. I'm, I'm excited that the season is almost here. Um, going to have a lot to dive into and talk about. So to everyone listening, thank you for listening. If you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple podcasts or on Spotify. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. Um, as we get this, things going again um and have a good rest of your day